word is yesterday's future, which is already here, ready here, ready here, ready here. Meet today's future, which is about to happen, and tomorrow's future, which could be just minutes away. Welcome to Technology Revolution, the future of now. Where host Bonnie D. Graham asks savvy futurists for their predictions about the tech-driven trends that are shaping our future right now. Here's your host who will take us into the future of now, Bonnie D. Graham. <laughs> Thank you, the voice of Ryan Treasure at Voice America. I never remember whether I said this is the future or that, so I'm just going to put my hands up. Welcome to the future of now. I have such an interesting topic for you today, and I'm going to start out with what I've been doing on recent shows. I am using an AI chatbot. I think everybody in the world is probably at least heard of, maybe whispered behind a closed door. So, oh my God, it's a chatbot. It's AI. It's taking over the world. It's called ChatGPT. And I went to ChatGPT at openai.com and I queried it on the future of healthcare and technology. Now, everybody in the world, I've got a global audience everywhere in the world. We're on LinkedIn Live. Panelists, wave hello to LinkedIn Live. Please wave hello to Facebook Live. There we go. And audience listening on Voice America Business Channel. And I went to ChatGPT and I said, what's one of the most popular topics everybody wants to know about their health we've come through a tunnel of doom and despair and a lot of medical problems in the past couple of years we're coming out on the bright side because the five of us are still here we're glad to say that so i want to know what's the future where is technology taking us so i asked ChatGPT, and the answer was the future of healthcare and technology is a rapidly evolving field with tremendous potential to transform the way healthcare is delivered and experienced. And I like the word "experienced." That's a very human word to me, more than just "it's delivered." Okay, it's experienced. That's a word I would not expect from an AI chatbot. And they said, "It said he, she, it said." Here are some of the key ways tech is likely to impact, likely the future of healthcare, telemedicine. Digital communications to provide medical services remotely. We've been hearing about that for years. Wearables, smartwatches, fitness trackers, they can collect health data. Privacy is another issue. Artificial intelligence, that's what Chatbot is. Analyzing large amounts of data to identify patterns and make predictions. And in the news, AI is now giving clearer, better, sharper diagnoses for certain types of cancer, more than more accurate than a lot of human doctors can. 3D printing, creating custom prosthetics, implants, even human organs, oh my goodness, and blockchain technology can improve data security and patient privacy. There we are. So then I said to chat GPT, I love quotes from songs. I love them. I love them in the intro to my show. I love them in a conversation. And it gave me four interesting titles. One is by Jackson Brown, Doctor My Eyes. I said about doctors. I Want a New Drug by Huey Lewis in the News. Okay, that's always a popular one. Robert Palmer's Bad Case of Loving You, Doctor, Doctor, and the Bee Gees Staying Alive. And doesn't that say it all? So I have worked with a good friend, a wonderful colleague, Hasmin Bajanos, who was my showrunner for the Kinetic Enterprise at Deloitte for many years. And she is now at a company called Callion. And I said, Hasmin, would you please bring me for articulate, passionate people who care about and are knowledgeable about the future of healthcare and technology. And here we are with four wonderful people. I'm just going to say your name and just wave hello. Ambrose Mock, you're with us. Ambrose, wave hello. There we go. And we have Hope Seneschal. Hi, Hope. Nice to see you. And we have Tasman Leipzig. I hope I'm doing all the pronunciations right. I practiced. And Sabrina Hasham. Hello, Sabrina. And we're going to ask them for their take on the future of healthcare and technology. Is the doctor in? And I have to do a shout out to all of the ladies, girls, 
older women, boomers like me, it's International Women's Day. And it's a wonderful day, and it should be every day of the year as far as I'm concerned. <laughs> so we're just going to keep the party going. So what we're going to do now is I'm going to ask each of my guests to spend around three minutes introducing themselves. Tell us, so Ambrose, I'm starting with you, shock and amazement. And I'm going to, <laughs> Ambrose is delighted to be here, I promise you. And I want you to please introduce yourself. Tell us a little bit about what you do professionally and what is your passion, Ambrose, for this topic? Why are you here? Why should we enjoy listening to you? That's a big challenge. Ambrose, welcome. Go ahead. Thank you. Thank you for having me. Um, my name is Ambrose, and I'm the VP of Solutions Delivery at Kalyan. Um, So my division focuses on helping organizations do digital transformation, um, primary healthcare organization. Uh, myself, I started off, you know, being split between either going to the healthcare industry or being in technology. I ended up taking technology and, you know, graduated uh, with an engineering degree, spent the first 10 years, you know, in e-commerce, satellite industry. But at the end, you know, I find my passion being still with healthcare. So I kind of switched to Kalyan um, right now, you know, running their, their application and, and service um, department. And what's your passion for this, Ambrose? What is your what is your je ne sais quoi, your your uh, call to action for why did you choose healthcare over technology? And we're talking about both. So just give me a little more. Do you wake up and say healthcare is really important to me because is there a personal reason, a professional reason? Just give me one more sentence. Um, I, I wouldn't say healthcare specifically, but you know I, I can't see the inefficiencies that we have within healthcare and and. One of my pet peeves is inefficiency, right? So, you know, I always try to take a look at, you know, how we can use technology to kind of streamline process and, and you know, try to reduce and, and improve our, our the healthcare for, for, you know, Canada. Thank you. You just added a very important word to my opening that I don't think I explained I had in any of my descriptions of what ChatGPT gave me, Ambrose, which is efficiency. We mm -hmm. want it. We need it. We have to have better health care sooner, faster, quicker with better processes. Thank you, Ambrose. That was great. Let's go to Hope Seneschal. Hope, welcome. Let's hear who you are, please. Thanks, Bonnie. Uh, my name is Hope Seneschal, and I'm the Director of uh, Quality Assurance and Compliance um, at Callian's Contract Research Organization. So the Contract Research Organization, we're involved in, in clinical research, which um, is very uh, related to healthcare. And so, you know, in, in this talk today, I hope to kind of bring my passion around research and how that plays into providing uh, better patient outcomes in, in healthcare as we progress um, into this, this new technology, uh, tech-driven tech field that we have. And so, um, you know, I've worked in research since the, the late 90s. It really is a passion of mine. I'm constantly, you know, interested in, in following up on the trends and like Ambrose, really looking for efficiencies in the way that we can do these. And some of the, the things I'd, I'd like to talk about today are, are absolutely related to, to efficiency and, and continuous improvement in the field. Thank you, Hope. We're looking forward to your predictions. Can't wait. Thank you so much. Nice to meet you. Let's go to Tasman Leipzig. Tasman, welcome. Let's get to know you. You're up. 
Hi, I'm Tasman Leipzig. I'm Director of Product at Calling Digital Solutions. So I spearhead our health tech portfolio, um, focusing on things from care collaboration, virtual care, um, secure messaging, remote patient monitoring, everything in between, including interoperability, which is a big factor in any kind of successful solution. Uh, I arrived here in kind of a unique way, right? So I actually started in the lab. Um, I was a lab assistant. Uh, and in doing so, I did get to interact both in the lab as well as with patients. Uh, so similar to how Ambrose has a pet peeve of inefficiency, so did I. <laughs> uh, and in seeing that directly and seeing how that impacts patients, I was lucky enough to work on all kinds of platforms, including patient portals and um, provider portals that just delivered care uh, faster and easier and really promoted patients being proactive with their care which is a large passion of mine, is giving you the information you need to take hold of your care. And I see a big shift in that in general. Um, so my passions really are helping both sides, so both the patients and the providers, um, and delivering the best care possible and hoping to help those individuals reach the best outcomes. Thank you very much. Started in a lab. Research, very, very interesting. How far back does your research go? Can I ask, is this research that's in, in so current that, methodologies or, or back to early healthcare and tech? Just give yeah. me a more. So that lab would be more in the diagnostics. So it's not a research lab. I worked for the largest diagnostics company in Canada. Um, so it's more on specimen procurement and how you're giving um, results to patients, right? So it was more about um, speed, efficiency, um, the best kind of care possible and supporting providers with giving those prognosis to their patients, right? So Thank it's more you. on the delivery side. Thank you very much. And we, we, I don't know how technology and AI are going to work on bedside manner, but I know that's something a lot of people have a problem with. Yeah, my doctor gave me the results, but he wasn't very nice about it. I'm sorry. <laughs> we, we've all been on that one. What do you mean? I had a doctor once who said to me, you just gave me seven problems, Bonnie. You're having problems with seven things. He said, I don't have time for that. Just give me the top two. I left his practice the next month and went somewhere else. I said, you either treat me as a whole patient or I can't deal with this. Oh, I only have time for two. Yeah, okay. Well, we can always walk, right? Thank you very much. Before we get sidetracked, Sabrina Hasham. So nice to have you here. She's got a t-shirt on. I don't think anybody can see the full t-shirt, but it's in honor of International Women's Day. There we are. Thank you very much. And now we're going to get you full face here. Hi, and please, Sabrina, introduce yourself. Thanks, Bonnie. Thanks for having uh, me join your panel today. Um, so I um, also hate it if inefficiencies, right? So I think that's something that we all have here uh, in common. So I'm originally an engineer, right? So like Ambrose, I graduated a few decades ago, a little earlier than Ambrose, and uh, was involved in bringing all kinds of technologies in. Mm -hmm. At that time, automated, automated workflow and document imaging, image processing, mostly into telecom, uh, financial institutions, and so on, which was very, very exciting. Uh, and then I went, went back and got a business degree. And what I found was, as much as I love, love technology, a lot of the things that I was being asked to do as a management consultant resulted in a lot of people losing their jobs, right? And so that really, really, you know, uh, really got to the core of me. So bringing, you know, uh, addressing inefficiencies, and so I went back to law school and I got a master's in law and I was really interested in technology regulation. So how do we 
foster, you know, how do we develop policies and regulation to foster innovation, which I love as an engineer and hate inefficiencies. And at the same time, how do, how do we deal with people who are marginalized by those technologies? And that's something that's really plagued me. So, uh, you know, I've continued doing consulting work in healthcare, uh, subsequently in um, being in the telemedicine field for almost 20 years now, from the time it was just kind of nascent and kind of cool, uh, bringing in all kinds of cool technologies that Tasman talked about. And uh, uh, so I'm, I'm a digital health consultant and I work uh, on a project right now with Callie and as the virtual care coordinator in the northern, um, in, in Nunavut, which is a, a huge Inuit region in, um, in Canada. So, and I'm also a patient. So always bring the hat of a patient. I have lupus. I was diagnosed with lupus 15 years ago and uh, Sjogren's syndrome. And there's an amazing uh, point uh, that you made, Bonnie, about being the being treated as the whole of a patient and working with wound care clinicians. They taught me this amazing saying: you want to treat the whole of the patient rather than the whole in the patient. So always keep that in mind. Very good play on words there. Thank you very much. I'm just processing that. Thank you very much, Sabrina. I, I, again, a shout out to Hasmin for bringing such a, a well-rounded panel. We have so many perspectives and so many interesting backgrounds here, and that's what makes it such a good conversation. Okay, we're moving along to the part of the show where I've asked my guests to please select a favorite movie or TV fictional character, quote, or a song lyric. That has nothing to do with our topic, healthcare. I've already given the, the topics, the names of the songs that have doctor and medicine in them, so I took care of that. And I'm going to ask them to relate their quote to the topic. So Ambrose Mock, you're up first, and Ambrose has picked a phrase. It's a movie version of a radio communication that really happened between Apollo 13 astronaut John Jack Swigert and NASA Mission Control Center Houston during the Apollo 13 spaceflight in 1970. And at that point, there was an onboard explosion and the oxygen supply dwindled, the electrical power dwindled, and instead of getting them to the moon, the job was to get them back to Earth. So the phrase is very popular, and of course the movie is Apollo 13, 1995, American space docudrama, directed by the one and only Ron Howard. Boy, has he come far in his career, Ron Howard. Wow, directing major pictures from, from who he was when he was, some of us remember. Anyway, so Jim Lovell, played by Tom Hanks, is there anyone better, said the following, Houston, we have a problem. That wasn't really what they said, but we're looking for fictional quotes, so we like the fictional version. Ambrose, that's probably too much history for you. Ambrose, what does this have to do with our topic? Go ahead. Um, I guess it, it relates to efficiency, but it, it clicks with me because, um, you know, overseeing solutions delivery in, in healthcare systems, you know, very often, regardless of, you know, how much planning we do, um, as we go live during the execution, something always goes wrong. But, but, you know, the key of it is to, you know, assess the situation that we're at. Um, you know, think outside box with the tools that we have and come up with the solution with, with the available resource. Um, and most importantly, like you can't really do it alone and you got to trust the team that's around, right? So it, it kind of reflects, you know, the topic that we have right now where we have limited uh, healthcare workers with limited resource, limited budget, but we still have to kind of serve a, a huge population and how can we kind of leverage the the resource we have and come with creative solutions to, to uh, you know, solve the problem that we have. 
Thank you very, very much. I appreciate that. Always good to have that quote. And it applies to so many topics, doesn't Andrew? I'm sorry, Ambrose. Andrew is my engineer. All my A's today. There we go. I'm on the A list. Houston, we have a problem. It could be anything in place of Houston, but we all know. It's when something goes a little bit off the tracks, off the rails, or off the path back to earth. There you go. Hope, let's go to you next. Hope, you have sent a quote from, oh, haven't had this movie quoted on the show in a long time. Casablanca. Oh, good. 1942, American romantic drama. Sabrina's smiling. I don't know if Ambrose or Tasman have ever heard of Casablanca, have you? Ta- Tasman did. Ambrose, ever heard of Casablanca? Oh, my goodness. Their parents trained them well to uh, expose them to good culture. Let's put it that way. Rick Blaine, an American expatriate, expat, we called him, played by Humphrey Bogart, who was the star of the, the century back then. Casablanca. And the quote is the last line of the film, okay? Starred Bogart, Ingrid Berg, and Paul Heinrich, film and set during World War II. An American expat must choose between his love for Ilsa, played by the wonderful, beautiful Ingrid Bergman, and helping her husband, Heinrich, a Czechoslovakian resistance leader, escape from the Vichy-controlled city of Casablanca to continue his fight against the Germans. Okay, the screenplay was based on an unproduced stage play called Everybody Comes to Rick's, which was interesting. Uh, the cast included other really f- famous people, Peter Laurie, Sidney Greenstreet, and Claude Rains. And the last line of the film, Rick and the captain, played by Claude Rains, walking across the tarmac of the aerodrome, the, the airport, away from the camera. So you see the back of their heads as they're walking away. And Bogart says this to the unscrupulous prefect of police who goes whichever the way the wind blows we don't want to talk about that today and he says louis or probably with a more french act louise i think i think this is the beginning of a beautiful friendship ha ha hope what does this have to do with our topic i hope you enjoyed the history lesson go ahead hope uh, I love that movie, and, and thanks, Bonnie, for, uh, for you know, giving that nice intro. And uh, I think, honestly, that this is the best last line of any movie that was ever made. And for me, you know, the reason why I picked it to talk about today in conjunction with this topic is because I think of, of tech and healthcare as a powerful collaboration, you know, and I think if you bring, you know, these two things together, we really are looking at a beautiful friendship. And we already talked about, you know, everyone's um, issue with efficiency when it when it comes to healthcare. And so, you know, the ability to use technology solutions to to improve efficiency, you know, to improve data accuracy, and then again, at the end of the day, be able to provide a better patient experience, I think is what we're all looking for. And so for me, this quote kind of just stood out in terms of what I would like to see as tech and healthcare come together at the end of the day, just making things better for the patient. A beautiful friendship. Exactly. To that. There you go. Thank you very much. As as we used to say, a marriage made in heaven. Okay. Yes. (laughs) How about that? That's the best part of it. That's the, that's the next step. If it's really a beautiful friendship. (laughs) Tasman, let's go to you. You found a quote from Gandalf the Grey or Gandalf, however, wherever you come from. A wizard plays, played by Ian McKellen, speaking to the elf queen Galadriel, played by Kate Blanchett. The Hobbit, 
An Unexpected Journey, 2012 epic high fantasy adventure film. I love the way they put together all the genres. Well, it's an epic, but it's also high fantasy, but it's also an adventure film. And it might have a little romance in there too, a little poetry, I don't know. <laughs> it's based on the 1937 novel, The Hobbit by J.R.R. Tolkien. This is the first part of the Hobbit trilogy and a prequel. I always get the sequel and the prequel mixed up to Jackson's The Lord of the Rings trilogy. Set in the Middle Earth, 60 years before the main events of The Lord of the Rings. I'll leave it there. And Gandalf says to the Elf Queen, I found it is the small things, everyday deeds of ordinary folk that keep the darkness at bay. Tasman, this is absolutely gorgeous line. This is, it's about life. I'm going to stop there. I'm, I'm going to start to cry. Don't make me cry. Tasman, take over. It's a beautiful scene. It's okay if you cry. I'm sure you would be happy with his, with his performance. Um, so I chose that line because I, I agree with you. I think it applies to everything. And I've experienced this so deeply in healthcare and technology where it really takes everyone. So if you think of all the interactions a patient faces during their healthcare journey, both digital and personal and, and that human connection, um, it takes their entire care team. And what people don't see as well is that there is a whole background. There are analysts in the laboratory. There are tech people like everyone on this call. There's a QA that tested that software before you're using it. Um, it really takes all of us making the little steps that feel little that you know create these large, fantastic solutions and deliver the best care. So I know it's a bit extreme saying keeping the darkness at bay, but if we consider darkness, <laughs> It could be a combination of your, your health issues. It could be a combination of bureaucracy and red tape when you're trying to get a project through and technology through. Um, it really applies to anything um, that we can do together if we all just take our little steps. Thank you, little steps. Yes, what do they say? What's the best way to eat an elephant? One bite at a time. And for those of us in tech, it's B-Y-T-E. There you go. Thank you very much, Tasman. Sabrina, you have picked a song quote. We're getting away from the movies here. Very interesting. The song is, I have a background on this. I, I don't know if you know this, Being Boring, song by the Pet Shop Boys, 1990. They're an English synth pop, that's a tongue twister, synth pop duo formed in London in 1981. Vocals by Neil Tennant, keyboard Chris Lowe. They sold 50 million records worldwide. They were the most successful duo in the UK music history as of the 1999 Guinness Book of Records. Billboard magazine rated them in 2016, the number one dance duo group since the magazine debuted in 1976. Did you know this, Sabrina? They have they broke <laughs> records. They had 42 top 30 singles. Anyway, what I wanted to get to was the song was inspired by Zelda Fitzgerald, who said she refused to be bored chiefly because she wasn't boring. And here is the line. This is from the fourth studio album called Behavior. And being boring is a fan favorite, but it was the only song at the time that didn't hit the top 10. It only made number 20, which was interesting. But you found this line, Sabrina, good for you. When you're young, you find inspiration in anyone who's ever gone and opened up a closing door. I'm getting chills. Sabrina, what does this have to do with our topic? So this is like, this is my favorite song, probably not my partner and my daughter's favorite song because I play it so much. But um, in, and this, this line always makes me think of some amazing people. Another line from there is, some are here and some are missing. And in terms of healthcare, there are two Canadian innovation giants who are mentors of mine that this makes me think about, right? One was Dr. Ursula Franklin, a scientist, and Fraser Mustard, a physician, both at the University of Toronto. 
And Fraser died a few years ago at 84, Ursula at 94. And right till the last moment, they were fighting for how do we create thriving societies, right? So to me, healthcare isn't about the bits and bytes. It's how do we actually live? How do we create these wonderful societies in which, you know, I'm not a patient. I just told you I have lupus, right? I have Sjogren's. And so I was the founder of a tech company and I told my tech people, my designers, I'm already depressed that I have lupus. I don't want, I, I know you're gonna create amazing tech that does all kinds of things. I want this to feel like a hug. And it mm. did, we built an amazing, and they said, what do you mean? And these weren't people who built tech for healthcare. They were people who built all kinds of things and you know, had d d d uh, built sculptures and artists and amazing. And it was amazing because it felt like a hug. Right. And so um, that's what that song means to me. I'm inspired by wonderful people who came before me. Right. And um, if I'm talking about in, it's International Women's Day, I just want to have a little shout out to uh, the amazing uh, women who provide unpaid labor and and career limiting work, taking care of their elderly family members. Right. And that amounts to one point five trillion dollars in, in the U.S., in 2019 and 10.9 trillion dollars in in around the world right so and that's at minimum wage so i think if for all of us to thrive you know that disparity also needs to be addressed as part of mental and physical health that uh, of, of of women thank you and i think you know what i want everybody follow me just give yourself a hug for being here come on ambrose you could do that too give yourself a hug a little bit of hug come on he did it there we go tasman i want to see you give yourself a hug come on we're all giving one to hasman and to andrew my engineer I, I love that you know something if that could be on the top of telemedicine before you start with anything give yourself a hug and the doctor does it too or the nurse or the pa or the rn lpn cs ncs mcs lncsw anybody with any or just the healthcare mental mental health professional give yourself a hug wouldn't that be a great way to start any kind of a visit any kind of a check in sabrina you're on to something i don't know international women's day international hug yourself during a doctor visit day okay <laughs> leave it there i'm i'm going off the rails here. don't get arrested it yeah. Wasn't, yeah, that's true. That's true. Yeah, T times have changed from when. Yes, I, I know. You, you don't want to know. Anyway, let's go to the next part of the show. Ambrose is up first, and then Hope, and then Tasman, and then Sabrina. I'm going to pick a prediction from each of you, and it's not going. You don't have to go look for it. I will put it in the chat for you. I've already put chat in the chat. Prediction number one for Ambrose that he sent me in advance, and Hope, I'll put one in for you while he's speaking. Here's the deal. I'm going to ask Andrew, Ambrose to talk for about two to three minutes and expand it. I'm not asking you any questions. I'm just going to read it. If anybody on the panel has anything to comment on Ambrose's prediction, you have five fingers in each hand, as far as I know, and all four of the fingers are the polite ones. So if you want to want to talk, just wiggle one of the nice fingers at me. I made Ambrose laugh. I'm trying to get him to relax. <laughs> wiggle one of your nice fingers at me, and I will see you when I will call you. And just a one-minute comment, because I want to go around the table and see if we can get two predictions each. We have some overlap here, so it's fine. So you've all been given your instructions. Here we go. We've got plenty of time. Ambrose Mock, prediction number one. With the severe shortage of healthcare staffing, the adoption of low-code, no-code development for process automation will increase rapidly. Healthcare organizations will look to prioritize clinician wellness with automation. 
two sentences, but I think you've got a couple of good ideas packed in there, Ambrose. I know you do. So why don't you expand that for us? Or what I used to say, unpack it for us. Go ahead, Ambrose. Sure. Um, maybe you start off by explaining what local no code is, right? Please. It's, yes. The you know recent technology trend over the probably last five years or so. Um, and it is focusing on rapid development, leveraging deep development platforms that use visual interface. So rather than you know traditional development where you basically have to code everything, um, there's tool sets and there, there's abilities to allow you know non-technical people to be able to create create applications or automate process uh, rapidly. Um, now you know there has been a large adaptation over the you know COVID period, um, but specifically I, I think there's more usage of it in the future. Um, as we know, you know, our healthcare uh, staffing is extremely short. Um, right now, as it stands, there's like 33,000 open vacancy for nurses. Healthcare workers are consistently doing OT. I believe they average like 16 hours OT every single week. Um, and a lot of them are stressed out and, and basically quitting within the first three years of entering into the industry. Um, the government is trying to um, provide programs to increase the number of nurses and doctors, but um, you know it's not catching up, right? So this is a situation where we have limited resources, and we've tried still have to, you know, serve this huge need. Um, you know, a case study um, in Dubai where you know they leverage uh, local no code to create a a um, registration intake program and within you know a month of having it you know implement and go live it actually reduced the time of registration by 66 percent and and data entry error entries by by like 60 percent right and and this is something that we can do quickly leveraging local no code to to get more out of the resources that we have um, so there's a lot of, you know, different applications, right? Um, if we, uh, a recent survey to clinicians, you know, they, they find they spend a significant amount of time navigating the EHR systems, um, you know, which can be quite tedious and, and frustrating. Um, so you, we can leverage local, local to, you know, customize a, a personalized interface for the individuals, um, you know, reducing their, their, their um, speed to be able to get the job done. Um, there's also a lot of you know administrative and repetitive tasks which can be also automated with local no code, um, so that the healthcare workers can focus on providing healthcare as opposed to doing administrative work. Thank you very much, a Ambrose. Very very interesting. Anybody have any comments on that low code no code? Um, the part that I picked up when, when you started speaking, Ambrose, was reducing errors. Wouldn't that be wonderful? And I know there are multiple levels of errors we don't want to happen. A patient's name, their chart, their information, their privacy opportunities, uh, the, the accuracy of what the doctor meant to put in a chart, the report the doctor sends to other physicians through whatever connected care. There are so many places an error can happen that can be life impacting, family impacting, life changing if it's communicated wrong or the wrong information <clears throat> is communicated. Very, very interesting. Any comments from anybody? Any comments? 
It looks like we're everybody loved what you said, Ambrose. That was a winner. Thank you very much. Hope, I'm going to prediction number four. I put it in the chat for you. Tasman, I'll put one in for you next. Mm-hmm. Hope says, this is interesting, Hope, because so many of us like me are in the gig economy. We work right. when and where we want to, when we can, where we can, as we can, as much as we want to or need to or love to. Let's just leave that for the big global comment <laughs> on gig workers. As the gig economy continues to grow, this is Hope's prediction. We are seeing it extend to healthcare workers for regular clinical care, as well as for research purposes, integrated tech platforms that seamlessly connect credentialed, experienced, and appropriately trained professionals will be essential to the process. I want to say, can we hear an amen to that? You, you <laughs> nailed every single possibility there, Hope Senechal. Go ahead, Hope. Tell, take a couple minutes. And remember, anybody want to comment? Little wiggle finger. Go ahead, Hope. Perfect. Thanks, Bonnie. So this one is related to something that's happening in the research industry, um, which is really, um, it can only happen with the innovation in digital technology. And this is the decentralization of our clinical research process. So with the gig economy, we have the ability to be able to send a research nurse, let's say, who is you know, trained, qualified, credentialed, trained on the study protocol to a patient's home to, you know, do study procedures, you know, um, and and collect data that's related to the study, which in turn reduces some of the patient burden to participate in, in clinical trials. When we talk about kind of the decentralization process, we're looking at, you know, some of the benefits of that of being able to bring the studies to the patient is, you know, to be able to increase the inclusivity and the diversity of the population that can participate in that research. Traditionally, we have studies that run in large urban centers. You know, patients have to travel into the clinic or the hospital to see the study doctor, study nurse, for the data to be collected. In this decentralized model, we can send healthcare professionals to the patient's home or a reasonable location of their choice um, to to reduce some of that burden and hopefully make it a better experience for patients to participate in research. One of the platforms that we use um, that Callian uses is called Nexi, and it allows us to, um, you know, assign a credentialed, trained nurse to a patient in a short period of time, so that you know they can be there the next day, or you know the the you know day after that, if that works for the patient. But we can schedule it at the patient's um, convenience, but within the window that we need to collect that data. So I think that, you know, we're really going to see more tools come up that will allow us to do this. Um, And again, about being able to kind of reduce the patient burden and make it a better patient experience for participating in research. And for the the staff that accept those um, assignments, Bonnie, you were kind of bang on, you know, it's about the freedom of being able to decide when and and where they want to work and, you know, to be able to work on concurrent projects at the same time as well. They, you know, they can take a a variety of assignments, a variety of research studies um, as as well. So I think it really opens up the opportunity for a new workforce, um, you know, to be able to get out there and work in a different way. 
Thank you very much. Tasman, a whole hand she's waving. This is, you really want to talk. Go ahead, Tasman, you're up. Well, I'm just going to expand on what Hope said. I, I loved yes. all of that. Um, with with Nexi, I, I know Nexi quite well now. It's, I mean, it's even beyond that. We're so used to Uberizing some of our services. Um, and this can really achieve that even for patient support programs, right? So beyond research, if we're envisioning um, you might have like an elderly individual in your house and they have to have a certain medication administered. And now it is so quick and easy to just make that happen. Like we're using mm -hmm. other variety services. Um, when I think of that, and I think of something that uh, Sabrina actually said, um, people taking care of their own um, folks at home or uh, other dependents. What if I'm a provider that doesn't have the time to do a nine to five in a hospital? Mm -hmm. I might have a time in my evening or a different time slot to assist the patient going to their house, right? So I love what Hope said on um, creating a new type of workforce where mm -hmm. it can be a bit more flexible. Um, I think of lots of doctors that might be on mat leave, right? And just getting out a little bit to see a couple patients in a day would be fantastic for them. And it would reduce a big strain in our system, even having those, those couple interactions handled. It would be, and it would, instead yeah. of saying your doctor's on maternity leave for the next six, eight, 10, 12 weeks, whatever the need is, whatever the arrangement is, and someone else is taking over her workload, you might be able to get in line to see that doctor who might be able to work an hour or two a day after a couple of weeks, but not come back full time. Sabrina, talk. And if I can, if I can add to that, thanks, uh, Hopi Thousman. So I'm working uh, up north in virtual care in uh, Nunavut, in the northern, you know, most part of, of Canada. And particularly after the pandemic, it's been difficult for us to get healthcare providers to come into the, these 25 fly-in communities and provide care, right? So the way in which we can um, support those communities is through telemedicine and virtual care and this kind of transient workforce where we can have providers offering services, right, for weeks at a time, for a day at a time, and we can take that provider and take their, um, and, and offer their services across the 25 hamlets even, right? Mm -hmm. So in a day, you can set up these virtual care clinics, et cetera, um, and you can have one or two resources who are actually managing uh, multiple folks or multiple uh, community centers. So that has been a, a, a very, very exciting for us and a, a wonderful opportunity. At the same time, you end up with, you don't have that necessarily consistency of healthcare providers, which you might want in a specialty, in a specialist, right? Not necessarily, I think, in a GP. Give and take, right? Yeah. The good, the good and the bad, the pro and the con, but sometimes you have to take the mix. There has to be a compromise. If we Absolutely. want care at all, it has to be a balance and well, I didn't get exactly what I want, but at least somebody saw me and they were competent and articulate and I got good care. So yeah. The expectations need to change of the patients for better or for worse. Let's move on. Tasman, Leipzig, and Hope, thank you for that very provocative prediction that got us started here. Tasman, yeah. I'm looking at prediction number one. I like this one. You say NLP natural language processing will lead to automated, automated triaging in health institutions using, and here's the key, sentiment analysis reducing strain on the healthcare system and making sure the highest priority patients are seen first. I'm going to ask you to unpack that. We need some definitions. Tasman, go ahead. Yeah, there's a lot to unpack. And thank you, Bonnie, for starting us off with some open AI comments, because I know it's yep. a hot topic. Yep. Um, so to set the stage on this particular one, I like to use a real story so we can all kind of understand it in a real life use case. But 
Um, I've worked with secure messaging in multiple platforms. And often when you add in technology to a provider's day, it's beneficial, but at a certain point, it can actually become cumbersome, right? So now that we've opened this interaction between patients and providers, there's going to be a lot of messages that could come through. And how do we process that? That's still the right decision to make. We should be opening that bridge with patients and providers to have continuous care. Um, but sentiment analysis allows us to quite neatly identify the components of an interaction in a sentence and tell us using AI if it's good or bad. Like, how is the patient feeling in this interaction? Um, natural language processing, you can even assign particular words that are flagged as emergent. So in a mental health use case, how I envision this is these care teams are interacting with the patient asynchronously, so not in a meeting at the same time, um, but through secure messaging. Um, if I'm a patient and I message back something like, oh, my week was okay, um, had a, a couple rough patches, that may be a sentiment analysis of medium, right? It's, it's okay. Whereas another patient may say something like, I hate myself today. Mm -hmm. right? And that's a significantly different sentence. That is something that needs to be live in a system for a nurse practitioner, provider, mental health consultant, anyone to follow up with immediately. Um, this can apply in hospital with, you know, a patient reporting pain from their hospital room if they have an interactive uh, device to do so versus a patient that says, I'm cold and needs a, needs a blanket, right? So sentiment analysis has come very far. Some of the giants that have partnered with OpenAI have even pumped it full of data that is medically focused. So I'm extremely impressed with what it can do so far. And this is something that I want to bake into our systems moving forward because our doctors and nurses won't have time to sift through everything, but the computers do a pretty good job with a quite a high confidence level um, to make these somewhat assumptions. So I want to be clear that I don't believe we should eliminate the providers from this process, but it's about how do we aid them in approaching the best cases first or the cases that might need the most attention first. Thank you very much. I haven't heard the term sentiment analysis in a couple of years, and that's why I was so interested to <laughs> see it. Uh, I have an intake form from a provider I've been seeing in another state. I just moved recently. And the intake form, it's a, I won't tell you what it's for, but anyway, it says, uh, are you sleeping more than usual? Are you sad? Are you nervous most of the day? Uh, is this impacting your ability to work? Are people noticing that you're slower or faster than usual? Are you sleeping more? Are you eating more or less? And it's it's a way of, with text, asking you to give them, I think, Tasman, a, a not a verbal, but a pre-visit assessment of where you are. And after a while, you just check off the same damn boxes. No, I'm working fine. Thank you. No, I'm not doing it. Yeah, I'm sleeping okay. Yeah, I'm eating a little too much. And after a while, it becomes so repetitive that I don't know that we give those honest answers. But what you said is, you know, I'm feeling terrible today. Or I'm having a terrible day or wow, I wish I wasn't here anymore. Those, the sentiment that comes from, that's why I do Zoom. By the way, I used to do radio on the phone. I'm telling all of you for years when I started Game Changers Radio for SAP for years, it was all phone. And I would have had to say, oh, is Hope done with that sentence? Did Tasman right. just take a breath or is she, can, is, is Tasman enjoying this? Is Ambrose nervous? No, Ambrose sounds like he's really happy. And I had to imagine once we figured out to get Zoom radio, it's radio TV for goodness sake. I like to say I can see my guests think. I can watch yeah. you think. I can see 
the eyebrows go up. Tasman's, yeah, she's agreeing with me. And Hope is smiling. And Ambrose is saying, yeah, I'm hanging in. I'm enjoying this. I didn't think so, but I am. And Sabrina is saying, let me add it. I can see. I'm, I'm doing live sentiment analysis on the radio, which is, talk about genres bumping into each other in movies, right? Well, look what we're doing right here. So thank you very much. Anybody besides me have a comment on sentiment analysis before I move on? No, good. Oh, help. Go ahead. Oh, I do. Yeah, yeah. no, Tasman, I, I thought that that was really, really interesting. And um, I guess my question to you is, where do you think we need to go to make that happen? You know, what what are the current barriers that we're working with to, that we need to overcome to, to be able to implement something like that? Because I do see when we talk about efficiencies, how implementing that type of technology could reduce some of that the burden on the the healthcare professionals yeah so i have a pretty um good answer for that and, and basically the time is now so the biggest barrier in my opinion was data yeah. we didn't have enough data to train the ai to properly have a confidence level that is high enough that i can assume it's correct um thank you to microsoft for partnering with OpenAI and other big giants for doing so because they got that handled. They, they pumped the system with so much data and now someone who develops product like myself can actually leverage their services to bake into the product, right? So now the sky's the limit and we're all very excited to turn this corner and see where we can use sentiment analysis across all industries because they've opened that door. Um, so data was the biggest barrier and I feel like now is the time you're gonna see this applied in many areas. Thank you very much. Hope, thanks for your, your provocative question there. And uh, Tasman, thank you very much. Sabrina, we're moving on. Prediction number two. This is interesting. You say, integration of various disparate or disparate, as some people say, disparate healthcare innovations in collaboration with narrative medicine. That's what I want you to talk about. Will support patient-centric care. And when I hear the word or see the phrase patient-centric, I say, if only. <laughs> That's if, only. If, if only so uh, we, we've all been there done that come on so sabrina talk to us expand unpack that and then we'll see if anybody has comments and we'll have time for maybe one or two more predictions go ahead so well, i think this is this uh, you know tasman's uh, prediction was a wonderful lead into this because when i did read the predictions i thought they were you know narrative medicine and sentiment analysis and natural language processing really go well together right and Right now, we think of uh, a patient, you know, with a free-for-service model as these little healthcare transactions. You know, someone's a diabetic, they're a lupus patient, how do we deal with them? But I'm a full patient, right? So narrative medicine is a really exciting uh, healthcare approach, uh, which excites me as a chronic disease patient, right? It's one where uh, I think Columbia University has an amazing program in, in narrative medicine, and they work with physicians on listening and observation skills to help them understand that their patients are people more than just their medical histories, right? Every patient has a story that goes beyond the symptoms that they bring into the doctor's office, right? So it's this way of getting patients to tell their stories in meaningful ways and, and, and really all of the qualitative information that's in those stories is actually contextualized and it gives you know, real context to that medical data, Tasman, that, that all of the amazing tools that you've talked about is gathering, right? So it's how do you bring those, that approach and the, the data together so patients don't have to tell their stories over and over and over again. And we see the patient as a person. You know, Sabrina is not a lupus patient. Sabrina is 
a person who has, you know, a regular life. And so how do we make that transition, I think? Uh, and there's so many amazing technologies and approaches that, that, we, that, that we can bring together into the future of, of healthcare. Thank you very much. It reminds me when you call at, at any kind of a company or an organization and the phone message, the onboarding message of the greeting message, of course, is a, is a chatter. It's recorded and it says, please enter your customer number or your account number. And please tell us the last four digits of your in the U.S. social security number. And please tell us your full name and, and your zip code, whatever it is. And then a person, you have 14 minutes and 22 seconds waiting online. We're having higher than usual call volume. Finally, somebody answers and they says, to whom, they say, to whom am I speaking? What's your phone number? What's your zip code? And what's your, it's like, you asked me already, right, Sabrina? I'm, I'm reducing this to a very, very common yeah. denominator here, but you asked me already, why did your system intake me at that level? And a person didn't get it. It wasn't connected. Integrating customer-centric, patient-centric care. That's what I think we're all really talking about. Anybody have any comments on Sabrina's? Yes, narrative. Go ahead, Tasman. So, but fully support what you said, Sabrina, narrative approach to care is so important in focusing on the patient, making sure their story is followed. Um, I will say there's quite a barrier with how do we do that interoperability, right? So um, even if one organization agrees to you know, integrate all of their systems so that this journey can be followed in a nice way, um, I feel that the higher bodies at B need to agree as well, right? So that could be provincial or state, et cetera. Because if you have, you know, you're a patient who sometimes goes to different organizations under different health umbrellas, I'm always concerned of how do we bridge that gap? So I don't know if you've seen anything like that, Sabrina, in your <laughs> world, but I mean, that's always the big hurdle. It's, it's oh, Tasman, uh, 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 you know, that's a conversation for an, another day because I actually built, I, I started a startup that was focused from the patient out as opposed to you know, healthcare uh, transactions in. And clearly I didn't wake up and say, I'm still the founder of this company, right? So we were early, we started, we had a lot of traction, but how do you overcome those hurdles to actually um, de deploy a company like that, right? Or how do you deploy the technologies that are, or sorry, the, the, the business models really and the existing structure don't allow you to think in a patient-centric way. They, they're very much in a disease-specific or an institution-specific way. Mm -hmm. And uh, if you ask me, Bonnie, what makes me wake up every day? It was that for many, many years till it crushed my soul. And now I'm trying to wake up again and, and, and join that fight, right? You yeah, know, it's the life of a founder. We're glad you're waking up. We are. There you, there you go. I want to squeeze in one more prediction very quickly. We only have about five minutes left, but I have a little closing exercise we're all going to do. I'll tell you in a minute. But Ambrose, I wanted to pick a prediction number two. Just take two minutes and we'll take a quick 30 seconds around the table. Ambrose says, aging population and the higher need for managing chronic conditions will increase the demand for digital and self-serve therapeutics. This will improve patient accessibility while reducing costs to the system. I'm most wondering about digital and self-serve therapeutics for aging, depending on what part of aging they are, 60s, 70s, 80s, 90s. My mom lived to 100 and had a Mac. First she had a Mac, she hated it. We gave her a PC, hated it. We put a rack on a Mac. And she used to listen to my radio show online. She lived, she died in her own bed, didn't have an aid or anything. And she lived to 100 years, one month and 15 days. And she was perfectly healthy until a cough. Pre-COVID, there was a virus that was killing people at age 50. It killed her at 100. So it was very, very interesting. But my point is that, 
the use of, of advanced technologies, Ambrose, in the aging population really depends on what kind of support infrastructure they have, what kind of families they have, who's nearby them, who can help them learn, use them, the affordability. I can think of so many. So Ambrose, I'm going to give you oh two minutes to explain your prediction because I think it's provocative and it could be a part two for this show. Go ahead, Ambrose. I'm the lucky one to get to, right? Yes, you are. <laughs> um, yeah, so aging population, like we all know chronic conditions takes the highest cost in healthcare, yep. right? And then, you know, the, the top ones are, you know, heart, heart disease, diabetes, arthritis, um, you know, those take a majority of costs and there's always reoccurring um, uh, uh, sessions that you have to go to connect with healthcare. Um, you know, first of all, the um, digital and self-serve therapeutics is a big part of it is convenience, right? You can do it at your, the right pace at your own time, right? You don't have to kind of make an appointment three months in advance. And Tasmin kind of mentioned that, you know, if I take a, a day of work and I want to do um, some therapy um, when I'm off work, I have mm -hmm. the ability to be able to control on the own convenience. It's also very cost efficient uh, rather than going to, you know, book a physical person to walk you through that therapy. Uh, you can mass um, produce and send these devices um, to either de uh, deliver remotely in a scale. Um, so, you know, some of the some of the examples that we can think of is um, even with men mental health care. Um, you can put on a, you know, if you feel stress, um, you can put on like a VR headset, it can walk you through that therapy, um, it can record the data, and because it's data-driven, uh, you know, some of the predictions that we've talked about with AI can analyze your reaction as far as how you, um, how the patient uh, react to that particular session and be able to provide feedback to see if, you know, this is just a uh, regular uh, session or a require escalation where we actually need someone to reach out because the person's not feeling well, right? So, you know, there's a lot of different applications, um, you know, tying into a lot of the predictions that we've made about uh, today, such as, you know, wearables and AI and so forth. Thank you very much, Ambrose. Tasman, go ahead. 30 seconds. We're just about done. I'm just going to expand on the wearables comment. So with remote patient monitoring, what we're discovering is in chronic disease management, it reduces the rate of readmission. It pr provides the patient with their own pro proactivity. So chronic conditions are going to exist forever. And how do we reduce the strain on the healthcare system economically? Um, providing them those devices and monitoring them more long term um, just means that they're not going to show up in an emergency and, you know, need different emergency surgeries. So I love what you said, Ambrose. And I can see that going so many ways. Thank yeah, you. Yeah, part two. Hope, hope 30 seconds, part two. Hope 30, 30 seconds, seconds. yeah. Um, Ambrose, I, yeah, absolutely agree with, with everything you said there and, and Tasman as well. And I think that the key um, to build on what Bonnie said about using this in an aging population is we have to get the patients involved in developing the tech. Because if we understand what their real world life challenges are, then we're gonna be able to develop that tech to address that, to make it easier for them to use the technology and to be able to engage in it and then get the benefit out of it. So, you know, I think that that will be key for any tech organization to be successful um, down the road as we're moving into this, uh, this kind of new wave of technology.
Thank you all. Ambrose, see why I picked you for the second prediction for the last one? Because I knew it would be very provocative and on everybody's mind. So thank you very much. You did great. I want to thank everybody at Cali and especially Hasmin Bolanos, my my go-to showrunner. I appreciate you. I think we're going to do a part two in a couple months, and we'll pick a slightly different angle to the topic. Well, she'll work with you. So Ambrose Mock, thank you. Hope Seneschal, thank you. Tasmin Leipzig, thank you. Sabrina Hasham, Thank you, my engineer, Andrew. Thank you. And I want you all to do a quick, uh, oh, we've got one minute left. Here we go. I want you all to raise your hand, and you're going to say no, no, no on the count of three when I give you three. Okay, you ready? Everybody raise your hand. Raise that pointer finger. There we go. Hope and the pointer finger. There we go. People say the future is already here, and we say one, two, three. No. No, no, no. No. You got it. Why? Because that was yesterday's future or 30 seconds ago future or Two seconds ago, future. The future of now isn't here yet, and we're all going to do our best to make it a better one. Bonnie D signing off. Thank you for joining us for Technology Revolution, the future of now. Mark your calendar to join host Bonnie D. Graham every Wednesday at 8 a.m. Pacific Time, 11 a.m. Eastern on the Voice America Business Channel to hear how technology is impacting your future now. Oh